Hi, my name is Patience Timmy, co-president at Wiser and fourth year medical student. And I'm here today with Dr. Vivian Wong, our co-founder at Wiser. So today we have a different type of episode for you. Instead of a traditional interview, we are going to tell some stories. It's no secret that when we reflect on our past, we are better equipped to not only understand our present, but also appreciate how far we've come. Today, we are going to explore stories throughout history that highlight the groundbreaking efforts made by women in their quests to pursue their passion for surgery. We'll hear about a female surgeon who pulled a real-life Mulan and lived as a man during her entire surgical career, as well as learn about the first woman Russian military surgeon. So let's start way back when in ancient and classical history, there are many firsts, which include surgical procedures as far as 3500 BC. The Sumerian queen, Shubad of Ur, is the earliest documentation of this. She was found buried with surgical instruments made of flint and bronze, which I hope someday I will be too. In fact, it seems as if ancient civilizations in Egypt, Greece, and Italy may have been far more progressive than one would assume. For example, Egyptian medical schools in 1500 BC had women students, and there were Egyptian tombs and temples that depicted both women and men wielding surgical instruments. Ancient Egyptian, Greek, and Jewish literature confirmed that women practiced obstetrics, wound care, circumcisions, and more. Maybe in Greece, the reason women were physicians and surgeons could be due to their culture that is established in Greek mythology. Leto, the wife of Zeus, was said to be a surgeon. The primary surgical text, actually, until the 11th century, was a four-volume text written by a man, but about the records of two female Roman Greco surgeons of the time, detailing their general and OBGYN surgeries. Well, I'm so surprised how far back we can trace the history of surgery. Yeah, it's cool. However, sadly, as we enter the Middle Ages, the ability for women to be educated and practice as physicians and surgeons fell. Unfortunately, the education of women in medicine and surgery declined because male-dominated church and state rulers in Europe declared women to be inferior. In addition, the progression of medicine and science overall during this time was stifled by the church, who proclaimed that a lot of diseases would be cured by saints. You also see the passing of laws in Europe to regulate who could practice surgery in the 14th and 15th centuries. Interestingly, in France, daughters or widows of male surgeons were allowed to inherit a surgeon's practice, but this also eventually just went away. Wow, that sucks. So if I wanted to be a surgeon, I just have to be lucky enough to have a dad who happened to be a surgeon who was willing to allow me to take over his practice. Even the practice of midwifery, which was historically female-dominated, became overtaken by men. Those women who were able to continue in surgery seemed to have obtained their education through a supportive husband. For example, a famous female surgeon in Switzerland in the 16th to 17th century, Mary Collinette, was a midwife who was taught surgery by her husband. He himself said that her surgical skills exceeded his. She was also an ophthalmologist and an obstetrician. Famously, there was a patient where her husband unsuccessfully attempted to retrieve a piece of metal from their eye. She proposed utilizing a magnet, which was ultimately successful. She also introduced using heat to help dilate and stimulate the uterus during labor. 
And while her husband seemed to be very supportive of her and rightfully wrote about her achievements, he unfortunately often got credit for her work and ideas. He seems like a great example of hashtag he for she way back when in the day. As we transition to the 19th century, this period of unprecedented accomplishments by women, who were at the time deemed rebellious, are now looked upon as courageous path forgers. Absolutely. And during the 19th century, women were still barred from having any real formal education, let alone medical education. One woman, Margaret Ann Bulkley, went as far as living as a man in order to get a medical education. This woman, known as Dr. James Barry, went on to serve as a high-ranking military surgeon in the British Army, as well as being one of the first surgeons reported to perform a successful cesarean section in South Africa. James Barry was also dedicated to social reform, speaking out against the sanitary conditions and mismanagement of barracks, prisons, and asylums. During her 10-year stay, she arranged for a better water system for Cape Town. When Dr. James Barry died, one of her last wishes was to be buried in the clothes she died in. Wow, that's so impressive. My acting skills definitely would not be good enough to get away with that for my entire life. Was she ever found out? Well, unfortunately, her wishes to be buried as a man were not granted, and the nurse who had undressed her discovered that the person they had known to be James Barry not only had female anatomy, but also had the telltale stretch marks from pregnancy. Dr. James Barry is buried now in Northwest London. So speaking of making history, we can't have this talk without mentioning Dr. Mary E. Walker. She was one of the first women physicians in the country in 1855. Several years later, with the outbreak of the Civil War, Dr. Walker was denied a commission as an army surgeon just because of her gender. So she served as an unpaid volunteer in Washington, in various military camps, and in a hospital for Indiana troops. Eventually, she was appointed as an assistant surgeon and assigned to the 52nd Ohio Regiment. She consistently discounted personal injuries and great hardships she went for just to care for others. For example, she was captured and held as a prisoner of war for four months before finally being freed in a prisoner exchange. Through her actions, she set the standards for helping to improve soldiers' quality of life for generations to come. And to this day, she remains the only woman in the United States history to receive the Medal of Honor. Wow, more than 100 years later, and she's still the only woman? In addition to breaking barriers in medicine through their actions, we have numerous examples of women actively fighting for women's rights in politics. Dr. Harriet B. Jones, born in June of 1856, was the first woman to be licensed as a physician in West Virginia, and was also one of the first women to be elected to the West Virginia House of Delegates. Even before being elected, Jones held a great interest in the rights of women in the United States. In 1889, she won the right for women to attend West Virginia state colleges and universities. Another one of her agendas was women's suffrage. She was a huge supporter of encouraging women's right to vote and was very active in the West Virginia Equal Suffrage Association. So that was a brief rundown of some stories from the 19th century. What do we get to see happen in the next century? Well, moving on to the 20th century, we meet many women who were able to achieve numerous firsts in surgery. Princess Vera Ignatia Gotroitis was not only a Russian doctor of medicine, but also an author. 
She was the first woman military surgeon in Russia, the first woman professor of surgery, and the first woman to serve as a physician in the Imperial Palace of Russia. She was actually an openly gay woman. And as such, she eventually had to enter into a marriage of convenience so that she could earn a passport and pursue studies outside of Russia. Knowing that there was an increased need for more diversity in Russia, when she received her medical degree in Switzerland, she headed back to Russia where only 3-4% to of Russian doctors, not just surgeons, doctors, were women. In Russia, Vera performed 56 major surgical operations and it is where she became the pioneer in applying laparotomy for the treatment of abdominal wounds on the battlefront. At the beginning of the revolution, Gatrice returned to the battlefront. Wounded, she was evacuated to Kiev, where she resumed her work as a physician and an academic. She later on became the first female professor of surgery, but unfortunately, the Soviets removed her from her office less than 10 years later, and even denied her a pension despite all of her work. It's pretty impressive, everything she was able to achieve, to be honest, given the time period and being openly gay. Um, that is quite impressive. I do wonder how often women felt the need or felt obligated to get married, not necessarily because of love, but rather to be able to advance a career or in her instance, just for convenience. You're right. I'm sure she's not the only one. Now, we can't talk about the 20th century without mentioning Major Barbara Stimson. Barbara Stimson had the fortune of being born into a family where education was encouraged no matter what your sex was. Barbara and her four sisters went to the then all-girls school, Vassar, while her two brothers attended Cornell University. Whether it was the fact that her parents were progressive thinkers or just the mere fact that the number of girls in their family outweighed the boys, she grew up in a household where issues of equal opportunity for the sexes were never up for debate. So when she told her father that she wanted to pursue medicine, it wasn't an issue. She went on to become a pioneering orthopedic surgeon. Amongst other accomplishments, she was the first woman to be certified by the American Board of Surgery. The American Board of Surgery, or ABS, was started in 1936 to reduce the number of practitioners performing surgeries who were not deemed qualified. By 1940, only four years later, there were already 800 people who were certified, but all of them were men. Simpson surprised many of her contemporaries by becoming certified but it would be another seven years before any other female surgeon would be able to get certified by the ABS. Can you imagine how much of a privilege it must have been back then to have a parent who did not want their child to follow traditional gender roles? Yes, I'm so thankful that we live in a time now where we are often celebrating breaking gender norms as opposed to adhering to them. And while things certainly aren't perfect, we do mostly expect equity amongst men and women regarding educational opportunities, and hopefully that never changes. Here's another example of a female surgeon who made big leaps in a surgical subspecialty that is today still largely underrepresented by women. Nina Starr Bronwald was an American thoracic surgeon and medical researcher who was among the first women to perform open heart surgery. Early on in her research career, she helped to design an experiment with artificial mitral valve prosthesis. She then developed a cloth-covered mechanical valve, the Bronwald cutter valve, and at the age of 32, she led the operative team in the U.S. National Institutes of Health 
to implant the first successful artificial mitral human heart valve replacement. Her other significant contributions include development of the stented aortic homograft, a graft of same species tissue, in this case human tissue, for mitral valve replacement, surgical treatment of chronic thromboembolic disease, and pioneering techniques for the use of tissue cultures to discourage the formation of clots when prosthetic valves and circulatory assist devices are in use. In the 1960s, articles in Life and Time magazines described her as one of America's young movers and shakers. While she clearly was very influential on her own, she met her husband while they were medical school classmates and she followed him to various academic institutions during his career, from him becoming the medical chief at UC San Diego to other prestigious appointments at Harvard. She did end up becoming the first woman to be certified by the American Board of Cardiothoracic Surgery and the first woman to be elected to the American Association for Thoracic Surgery, which was very well deserved. Okay, so we've talked about several stories of women throughout the ages. Where are we now in modern times? Great question. As we move into modern times, thankfully we have more pioneers popping up in various fields of surgery. We don't have time to get into details today, but if you want to hear more, we'll include links for more. Suffice it to say, we have more women now in various surgical specialties than we did ever before, and more chairs who are women also in leadership positions. Yeah, let's look into some stats. Women now make up more than 50% of incoming medical students in the United States, 43% of general surgery trainees, and about 20% of all practicing general surgeons. Women make up only 15% of currently practicing vascular surgeons, but they make up 33% of vascular surgery trainees. Similar stories in neurosurgery, where 9% of neurosurgeons are currently women, but there is almost 20% of neurosurgery trainees who are women. And last but not least, 6% of orthopedic surgeons right now are women, but 16% of orthopedic trainees are women. So while surgical subspecialties still lag behind, Percentages of women trainees are increasing. Okay, so the pipeline shows that hopefully our representation should continue to improve. Absolutely, that's the hope. We've already discussed frequently on this podcast before about various obstacles that women may face that could lead to attrition over time, slower career advancements compared to male colleagues, and we hope that resources like this can continue to help close the gap. If you're interested, please also check out events and programs by the American Medical Women's Association, Women in Surgery, and annual conferences held by the Michigan Women's Surgical Collaboration. So it's clear from our discussion today that there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think there's some comfort knowing that no matter the decade or the century, there have always been and hopefully will always be some very determined, somewhat rebellious women who are not afraid of breaking through glass ceilings. And as we continue to grow a strong community of people who support each other, that will be critical in making things better for the future. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wiser. 
If you liked this episode, please rate and leave a review as it helps others find the show. You can also share with friends and family. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Wiser Podcast for updates. This episode was hosted and produced by Patience Timmy and Vivian Wong and edited by Samriti Banskoda and Cameron Blunt. Music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions.